All right, let's go Psalm 100. Psalm 100. If you uh, don't have a Bible, we will have the text up on the screens behind me in just a little bit. We also have some physical Bibles uh, in scattered in the little chairs underneath the seats. We're running the thing again. Okay, all right, sure. She's a cute little girl. We, it's, a good, it's a good look. All right, so if you don't have a Bible that you can call your own, uh, we have some kind of scattered around the rooms. I put them out myself this week, so I know they're there. They're there this week, all right? So if you don't have one that you can call yours, take that one, and uh, I'll start reading. I think we'll have a good time with it. Uh, listen, we believe the Bible uses, is been given to us for all kinds of important things, but chief among those really important things is that God has given it to us so that we might know him, that we might walk in relationship with him and have every moment of our lives defined by and shaped by that knowing of him. And so um, we like the Bible around here. Um, so I know many of you have already seen that video before. We showed it uh, a couple weeks ago or a week and a half ago, I guess, at our big Thanksgiving meal we had in this room a couple Wednesday nights ago. Um, and so, uh, but we decided to go ahead and show it again this morning for a couple of reasons. One, uh, because we spent a tiny bit of money on it. Um, and so, like, why not show it again? Let's get our money's worth. Uh, that second viewing just cut our cost per view uh, like ratio. It just cut it in half. That's like good stewardship right there. All right. So, there's a good reason for that, but also a second reason to show it again is because I think maybe, just maybe, it can help us understand something that we're trying to aim at this morning. Um, and it's this idea that Thanksgiving may be necessarily preceding Christmas. Not just by accident, but necessarily preceding Christmas. Everybody's got a strong opinion about the encroachment of Christmas into the other fall holidays, right? Uh, you're either super for it or you're very much against it. Um, and so everybody's got their opinion about it. I've got my opinion about it. You've got your opinion about it. Uh, I'm the more curmudgeon type that's been complaining that Christmas trees have been set up at Home Depot since September, right? Maybe you're like me. Or maybe you're like my wife who's been listening to Christmas music since August. She thinks I don't know, but I know. <laughs> I totally know. Um, for every Ebenezer Scrooge, it seems like there's a Buddy the Elf waiting just around the corner to offset him, right? Or at least that's how it normally gets framed, living in a culture where we're forced to choose a side and then paint the other team as some kind of like extreme enemy. Or is that, does that affect anything else in our culture? Maybe not, probably not. Okay, so at the risk of causing you to tune me out this morning, uh, I'll just go ahead and, and just say it out loud, admit it out loud. I'm biased, like for real biased about when the Christmas celebration should start. I am a card-carrying member of the Christmas shouldn't start until you finished all the Thanksgiving leftovers party. Anybody else? Good, we can hang out. And I'm sure I lost the other half of the room. All right. So if you and I happen to be on different aisles right now, my hope this morning is that we can come to some kind of bipartisan con consensus agreement, I guess, uh, about something that I think may be really, really important. See, no matter when the Christmas season officially starts, whenever we start rolling out the decorations and singing the certain songs and lighting the candles, no matter when the Christmas season actually starts, I think it's all in our best interest it, to recognize that Christmas needs Thanksgiving. I think it needs Thanksgiving, or at least our modern Western 
kind of Christmas season that we've kind of surrounded ourselves with. People in other parts of the world, in other parts of history, maybe they don't need it quite as much, but for those of us surrounded by everything that comes packaged with the Christmas season or what we know is the Christmas season, you know the kind of stuff I'm talking about, right? We don't even have to, to think about it all that hard. The busyness, the, the over-commercialization, the things presented as good and right that the, the Messiah we're supposed to be celebrating would never call good and right, you know those kinds of things? Like all of us know what those things are. For those of us celebrating Christmas in a 21st century Americanized context, I think we need, need Thanksgiving. We need a proper celebration of what at least Thanksgiving is supposed to be. To temper and frame and give definition a platform for our westernized version of a Christmas celebration. And to be clear, I I don't think that a cute little comedy sketch video was trying to be all that brilliant. I I don't think they were trying to do something impressive. I think they were just trying to do something sweet and link two holidays together with a spiritual theme. They they wanted a nice awe moment for their funny video. But sometimes people stumble into brilliance. I know all the brilliant moments in my life, I've pretty much stumbled into them and so maybe that's what they did so it's like we we believe that god is sovereign over everything right and would would that include the calendar i think it does so what if in his infinite wisdom god placed a holiday that's supposed to be centered around rest and thankfulness immediately before the holiday where we all tend to ramp up the accoutrement and stress out about all the unnecessary extras What if that's by design? Our problems are self-inflicted for sure, but like he so often does, God's goodness shines through our nonsense. We live in a culture that struggles mightily to slow down and be truly grateful. Have you seen that? I think anybody with eyes that are open has seen that, right? I, I mean, think about it. We live in a cultural moment where retail stores choosing not to open up on the evening of Thanksgiving is seen as some kind of brave step to like guard the, the mental health of their employees. Like some of y'all are old enough to remember that used to just be the normal way to operate, right? You don't have to have an ad campaign to say how much we value our employees by not opening on Thanksgiving. People just thought that that was a terrible idea. the air we breathe to be constantly rushing on to the next thing. And so what if, what if working to guard the celebration of Thanksgiving wasn't some curmudgeon disdain for the, the joy of the Christmas holiday, but actually a subversive, counter-cultural attempt to help us celebrate Christmas in a better way? What if that's what Thanksgiving needs to be? If for no other reason, but because we walked into that Christmas celebration with a more God-focused temperament. So let me say it as unequivocally as I can. I really don't care when you start celebrating Thanksgiving or when you start celebrating Christmas. I mean, I've got my opinion about it. I'm sure you've got your opinion about it. But for everyone's good, man, I think we need to be dogged about making sure that Thanksgiving has some space. So that's what I want to spend our time on this morning. I want to give some space to Thanksgiving. I want to celebrate Thanksgiving, not as some kind of competing holiday that's, that, that we need to make sure gets its fair share, but, uh, but as like a pre-advent 
to prepare us for a proper Christmas celebration. There's a good foundation that protects us from the more dangerous trappings of our culture, trappings that seem often to ramp up faster and faster each year as we get to this part of the year. Every year it gets a little harder to navigate through. In other churches, they're kicking off... Uh, their Advent celebrations this morning. That's, that's a really good thing to, thing to do. This is technically the fourth Sunday before December 25th. And so if we were holding to more of a liturgical calendar, it's what we would be doing too. You've got four Sundays that you've got to squeeze in Advent before the 25th. That's what you're supposed to do. You've got to light the candles and go. Um, and so for those faithful churches walking that pathway, like I truly hope that God blesses their, their efforts. They're pressing into what I think is a really, really good thing. But for us... We chose to slow things down just a little bit this year, to take a breath in, in between. And so instead of being in a rush to put up the decorations, instead of you know, launching right into the singing of carols and the lighting of candles, like all that stuff's coming and it's going to be really good. I, I think we do it better than a lot of other churches, actually. But instead of rushing right into that, we want to take a moment and intentionally slow down. Intentionally slow down and celebrate that God has been astoundingly good to us. Celebrate that all the good things going on around here have come by His good hand. And so that's why I wanted us to open up to Psalm 100 this morning. I can't think of a better text to, to kind of help us stop and celebrate with Thanksgiving. And so let's read it. We're going to read all the way through it, and then we'll come back and slowly walk through it. Psalm 100, verse 1 says this. It's a psalm of forgiving thanks. How appropriate, right? It says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Verse 5, for the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. So Psalm, Psalm 100 is pretty short, right? Like, it, there, there's not a lot to it. It's just five short verses. But man, it comes through the door swinging, doesn't it? Like, if I were to challenge you right now to, like, pause and, like, write down all the most important uh, lines out of the Psalms that have struck you or changed you, things that you're fond of in the Psalms, like, there's a number of verses out of Psalm 100 that are making the cut. It's some absolute haymakers in here. Starting with verse 1, it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord. That word noise, if you have a different translation, maybe like the New American Standard, it'll say, Shout. Some translations render that as a shout. You want to know why? Because the Hebrew means a shout. There you go. It's, a, it's an eruption of praise like what you would see from an army that just won the battle. A celebrative war cry. Hey, did you know? Did you know that sometimes it's okay to be really loud in church? Crazy idea, right? I didn't think that was loud. I got shushed all my life. No, it's okay to, to be loud in church. In fact, the congregation of Israel here is actually commanded to cause a ruckus. So what happens if they don't? They're being disobedient, aren't they? Sitting back and not participating in the shout is disobedient and displeasing to the Lord. Now, this isn't an, an all-the-time thing. There are tons of other commands in the Bible that call for the congregation to be reverently silent sometimes. 
There are other commands to, for everyone to, be, uh, to listen attentively and other commands for everybody to sing with one voice. And so there are specific times and specific places for each of these postures. But we can, and so one of the postures included in the proper worship of God is to make a ton of racket. That's good for my heart because I'm a loud person. God seemed to equip me for that. We can also see here, though, that this action isn't self-serving. This command isn't for individuals to do whatever seems pleasing to them in a given moment. There's a leader of a congregation, and he is calling everyone to a group activity, right? This isn't a rogue moment. He's calling everyone to worship the Lord in a specific way as a body of people, as a congregation. And so it's not a make it up as you go kind of thing. It's not a I'm my own boss and I'm going to do what makes me feel good about me kind of thing. There's a call and then there's a congregational response to that call. But notice too that the congregational call bleeds out past just the congregation. Psalmist doesn't just say make a joyful noise to the Lord. What does he say? Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. And this is one of the most absolutely wonderful things about congregational worship. Listen, it is not merely a celebration of a gathered group of people who love the Lord. It is that, but it's also way, way more than that. It is simultaneously a call for all those not in the room to recognize the truth of who God is and join along in the worship of the one who is just as much Lord over them too. In other words, there's an evangelistic reality to the congregation gathering to corporately, corporatively praise the Lord. Listen, I, don't, I, don't, I know you don't see it yet. I know you don't understand it. But the one we're currently celebrating, he is the Lord over all the earth. And that includes you too. So why don't you come hang out with us? You'll enjoy it. Praise him like you've been created to. And what does that praise look like? Verse 2, to serve the Lord with gladness, exclamation point, come into his presence with singing. So two little commands, really simple commands, right? But together, they're a pretty full definition of what it means to worship God properly. I mean, think about it. One of the key aspects of true worship is serving, right? Just, Just not begrudgingly so. It's a serving that flows naturally out of a gladness of heart. It's produced out of a depth of joy, right? And so, listen, maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you kind of stumbled in here. You're not, you're not real familiar with the church thing. This is kind of a new experience for you. And so you kind of had the idea in your head that, that serving the Lord is something you're supposed to do. I mean, it sounds like a smart idea, right? And so, and, but you've always kind of seen it as this thing that you just needed to grit your teeth and, and press into because, well, you're supposed to. You want to be on God's good side, right? That's the opposite of what the Bible actually teaches about service. The Bible teaches that, that we do things for God because we are happy with Him. That's backwards because of who he is and what he has done. Service to God flows out of a heart so overwhelmed by God's goodness that we can't imagine spending our service on anyone other than him. That's what biblical service is. And so the psalmist says, no, no, serve the Lord with gladness. Same is true for the next line. The idea of entering the courts of the Lord is to come before him for the purpose of showing him honor. That's what you do when you enter into a king's court. 
Not a basketball court. It's where the king has his throne. You come in for the purpose of showing honor. But hear me, that those who belong to God, we don't just crawl into that court on our hands and knees hoping that he'll be kind to us and show us mercy. For those who belong to God, we come into his courts with songs of celebration. That's a very different posture, isn't it? We're not groveling at the feet of this king. We are striding confidently in as we celebrate this king. Confident, confident praise for the one who calls us his own. Oh, but listen. That also means that not everyone gets to approach this king that way. To approach the Lord with nothing but our own sin and unrighteousness is to deserve his wrath. It is to deserve his wrath. Those who belong to him, we don't, we don't carry that status based on anything originating from us. We haven't figured out all the little levers and all the little postures in order to please him. No, we have been reconciled to God through the sacrificial death of his son. And we have been clothed in Jesus' perfect righteousness in place of our own. So it, it is a status that is purchased for us by Christ that we, are, that we get to confidently approach God's throne, right? And in that confident approach of the Father, our hearts are freed to celebrate with abandon. We are His and He is ours. There's no second guessing our relationship with Him. We are His and He is ours. And the psalmist carries that same people of the Lord paradigm into verse 3. It says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. See, not only is God the creator of literally everything, but he is also the one who created a people for himself. They make themselves. He made them. In the psalmist day, who are we talking about? People of Israel, right? Called out from the masses, not... Not because they were mighty in number or because they were more righteous than their neighbors. No, 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 that's not how the story goes. But because of the goodness and mercy of God and for the fame of his name, God comes to a pagan man named Abram, calls him out of the masses and says, I'm going to make you mine. You're a train wreck of a person. But I'm going to love you and I'm going to bless you and those who bless you I'll bless and those who curse you I'll curse. I, you will be mine and I will be yours. He makes him a gigantic promise, right? And the Bible tells us that because Abraham believed that promise from God, that God counted that belief, that faith as righteousness. And so Israel are a people because of God's goodness. He made them. He made them. They didn't build themselves up. They didn't posture themselves in such a way to be impressive to the nations around them. They are his treasured possession for no other reason but because he called them his treasured possession. God's people endure because God is a good shepherd who lovingly takes care of his sheep. What about all those coming after the psalmist day? What about me? Well, we lean on Paul's words in Galatians 3. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. 
So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. See, the Bible teaches that those who have the same faithful trust in God's promises like Abraham did are Abraham's true spiritual children. In other words, if you know Jesus, he's your good shepherd too. In fact, he calls himself that. We get to to claim this verse as, as our own. We have a good shepherd who loves us truly. And so the most natural thing for us to do is to celebrate with thanksgiving, right? That's precisely what's called for in verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, it says. And his courts with what? With praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. All right, so it's important to notice here both what we see and what we don't see. Taking a little mental test here. The psalmist does not list out all the good things that God has done for them. It's not what he does. What does he do? He points to the realities of belonging to God and being near to God, being in God's presence as things that ought to produce thanksgiving and praise in us. Um, It is good and right and appropriate to celebrate all the things that God has provided. In fact, I, I think I would argue that a failure to do that is a giant red flag of something like a major problem in your heart. But that's not what's going on here. It's not what the psalmist is aiming at. The congregation is called to enter into the courts of the Lord with thanksgiving for who he is. Simply for who he is. And that they get to know him. Can I lovingly press the nerve this morning? Have I earned the place where I get to poke a little bit? When you went around the table this week, listing all the things that you were thankful for, Nice little family tradition. How many times did the presence of the Lord make the list? I don't think it made the list in my house. How many times did were you stopped in your tracks by the crazy reality that you get to know God? Oh, we're thankful for this, and we're thankful for that, and we're thankful for all these other things, and we should be thankful for all those other things. But how many times did just his mere presence astound you, give you pause, and create grateful thankfulness? Yes and amen, let's give him credit for every good thing, but if we're seeing him correctly, we will be floored by the gift of his presence long before we ever get to talking about the stuff he's seen fit to give. We'll get to that stuff later. Do you know him? How crazy is it that we get to know him? Give thanks to him, the psalmist says. Bless or add fame to his name. Why? Verse 5 is why. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Hey, we kind of heard about that steadfast love over and over again the last couple weeks, haven't we? It's almost like it's a drum that's continually beat all throughout the Old Testament. It's a steady drum beat on purpose, right? Israel depended greatly, heavily upon that steadfast love for them, and so do I. So do we, right? It is God's good character. It is His covenant faithfulness that we depend on. But not just us today. 
What else do we see? The generations coming after us, too. Back in verse 1, we saw that the Lord deserves to be praised by the whole earth as creator and king, even if they don't recognize it yet. They are his. They are created by him. They were created for the purpose of worshiping him. And so back in verse 1, we saw that the Lord deserves to be praised by the whole earth as created and king, as creator and king. And so the invitation was spread out to, to all those who don't know him yet outside of the covenant family. But here in verse 5, we see that the invitation to, is, to praise is kind of spread out through length of time, right? The generations coming on our heels can already bank on God's faithfulness. Not because their ancestors earned some kind of legacy status with God, but because God doesn't change. He doesn't change. He's not going to decide later on that what he blessed in the past is no longer pleasing to him. His character is not flexible based upon the whims of the moment. He is good, and for he will be good for a thousand generations to come. We can enter his gates with thanksgiving today because he is worthy and he will always be worthy. He is faithful, and he will always be faithful. If Jesus decides to tarry another thousand years, your great, 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 great grandchildren can build their lives around the fact of the steadfast love of God. So what do we do with this? How should, how should this text affect us in the, you know, the tiny little window between a Thanksgiving holiday, and hitting the go button on all our giant Christmas celebration plans? How should this text influence this moment? Well, the obvious response is to pause and to take a moment to let a biblical definition of gratefulness truly sink in deep. Right? We can't fly past this. We need to let it soak as far down as possible so that, the, that it colors and shifts how we approach this next month. Church family, the Lord is good. Have you stopped to celebrate that today? This week has looked different than maybe all the other weeks leading up to it. Maybe you had more time off, or maybe you had the, the, the thing you got to work on, or maybe, maybe you had to press into the, these other things because the rush is coming and you can feel the rush is coming. How deeply have you pressed into the reality, the earth-shaking reality that the Lord is good, that his steadfast love endures forever. How crazy is it that we get to know him? We've done nothing to position ourselves to earn his favor. It's because of who he is that we are here. It's because of who he is that we get to draw near to him. It's because of what Jesus has done that we have any access to him at all can't bring this God anything he needs. You kidding me? He's faithful to us. And he's faithful to those coming along after us. So the Christian's response to this text is to truly celebrate with Thanksgiving. Listen, even if you already got your Christmas tree up, it's okay. Who cares what order it happens in? I really don't care. My wife's going to make me go get a Christmas tree today, I tell you. It's, it's coming. 
Who cares what order it happens in? But pay careful attention to what he has done for you. Don't rush into the celebration without the proper thanksgiving foundation. We need it. And then after we've got that proper foundation, have fun. Enjoy everything about it. Use the, the good gifts that he's given you, like an intentional Thanksgiving moment. Use it to guard yourself from chasing after lesser things that would seek to steal your affections and your praise. And if you're intentional about that most important part, say it clearly, you have this curmudgeon's permission to go ahead and set up your stockings in July if you're weird like that. Who cares? Just don't miss Thanksgiving. Just don't miss Thanksgiving. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. That's a moment to, we, that we guard to put some space between the call to respond and hitting the go button on all the other things that you've got to do today. Same concept. We just do it on a weekly basis. Stop and take a moment. Slow down and intentionally apply this before we rush on to the next thing. So I'm going to pray and we're going to sing, use that as a time to flesh out that, some action for whatever God is stirring in your, your heart. But listen, what if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus yet? How can you respond to God's word? Well, you do that by meeting the one that this word is ultimately about. The one that this word points us to. Jesus. The Bible teaches that all of us, by default, by our own nature, are separated relationally from God because of our sin and that we are owed the just and right punishment for that sin. The Bible calls it wrath. Sometimes the Bible calls it death. It never, never calls it a good thing. The Bible teaches that, 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 that that's what's owed to us, but the Bible also teaches that even when we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, it is through God's grace that Jesus makes us alive. How? Jesus put on flesh and dwelt among us. He lived a sinless life that I'm not able to live. I'm just going to go ahead and guess, neither are you. He lived completely sinless. He went to the cross intentionally and sacrificially and died in your place to make payment for your sin. He didn't stay dead. He rose again from the grave because his righteousness was sufficient enough to pay the account. And as the one who conquered sin and death, Jesus calls on you in this very moment to respond to him in repentance and in faith, to turn away from your sin and to turn to him as Savior and Lord. Jesus wants to give you himself. Reconcile you to himself, reconcile you to the Father. Listen, you don't need some kind of preacher, priest figure. Jesus filled that purpose himself. He came near. But I'd love to be helpful to you. I want to help you figure out what that response of faith looks like. And so I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing. I'll be down front here if you want somebody to talk to you about it. But whoever you are, and however God is calling you to respond this morning, let's respond together right now. Father, you're good to us. God, we, we want to give ample space to thanking you for all the countless things that you have done for us. But before we ever start listing off those things, we want to thank you for making yourself known, period. I know my heart. I know how little I deserve to draw near to your presence, your holy, sinless, other presence. 
And yet you are good. You are gracious. You are merciful. You are mighty to save. And if left to our own devices, we'd be in a lot of trouble. But because of your goodness and mercy and saving power, you sent your son. God came near and dwelt among us. Paid the sin debt that we owe. How crazy is it that we get to know you and you would actually take care of all the things that separate us from you. So before we start listing all the the stuff we need to list, before we start thanking you for all the stuff that we need to thank you for, Thank you for being God. Help us enter your courts with praise. We get to know you. You call us yours. We get to call you our God. As we get ready to navigate into all of the the thousand things that are going to roll out as soon as we hit the go button for Christmas. Would you help us always see those things through the lens of a grateful heart? Of a heart that's far more impressed with you than all the extra stuff. Father, for those who don't, know you here this morning. Would you make yourself known in this moment? Open eyes to see and ears to hear. Would you call people into your kingdom this morning? Be their good shepherd. Lead them to yourself. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.